a playlist original. As a queer musical theatre fan who also happens to love rom-coms and podcasts, duh, I was thrilled to learn about The Flame, an LGBTQ plus musical romantic comedy in podcast format, created by a queer cast and crew. I chatted to the project's executive producer, Valerie Rose Lohman, who also stars in the show, ahead of the release of The Flame's first episode on June 2nd. Hi. Hi. How are you? How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm fabulous. It's really nice weather over here in LA. Oh, lovely. I'm very lucky. It's a bit cloudy over here. So. And where, whereabouts are you? I know you're, you're... London in the UK. Yeah. I miss London so much. My family is over there. Oh, that's really nice. Hopefully you'll get to come and see them again soon when things... <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I love it over there so much. It's wonderful, but I've never been to LA, but one day, hopefully. <laughs> I'm from here, born in, the weather's always pretty. It's lovely. You gotta come down. Definitely. So let's kick things off. Please, can you introduce yourself and give your pronouns? Yes, my name is Valerie Rose Loman and my pronouns are she, they. And can you sum up The Flame for me? The Flame is an LGBTQ musical rom-com about two women who, uh, one is a bar owner and one is the woman who plans to evict the bar and their love story. And as you say, the musical centers on the bid to keep fictional queer bar The Flame alive. And it's true that many queer bars have shuttered. How do you mm -hmm. think that's impacted our community? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, uh, I was, I believe we're down to, I think there's 17 lesbian owned bars left in the US. Um, and personally, there's like one in all of Southern California that I have found. And that to me is just crazy because there's, there's so many gay bars that, and, and, and they're all wonderful spaces and all generally very inclusive. But it, it's been really eye-opening to see these lesbian-owned businesses just have to completely shudder and that they are not getting the same support that other queer spaces are getting. It's it's disheartening, but I'm also really hopeful because as it's been something that I've been seeing is becoming more, more well-known, especially like I know a lot of the bars have started TikTok accounts and had videos go viral talking about these issues. I hope these spaces can stay open and flourish. Definitely. I'm excited to see what comes next after the pandemic and everything. I think we've realised how important community is during this time. Yes. Um, there aren't an awful lot of mainstream queer romantic comedies, so many of our stories focus on trauma. Why do you think it's important to queer this genre specifically? I think because there's so much queer joy. I mean, so many of my friends are in beautiful, happy, loving queer relationships. Every person has trauma. Everyone has gone through something and queer people, especially, there's obviously so much that comes, comes with coming out and accepting yourself. But we're so much more than that. We're all full human beings. And I mean, someone, someone put a compilation of all like the period dramas that are led by queer women and they're just, they're, they're obviously beautiful pieces of art, and I think it's important that we have those stories. But after a while, they just are such a downer. I just want to laugh and, like, see someone get the girl at the end and just be happy and sing some songs sometimes. We can't, I mean, I grew up on, like, Kristen Bell rom-coms, and where is, where is my gay version of that? Exactly. Um, what was the Christmas one that they had recently? 
Happiest season. Happiest season. Yeah. What did you think? Have you seen that? What did you think of that? I have seen it. There was a lot of it that I loved. But again, I, I think I went into it thinking it was more just going to be a regular Christmas rom-com that just happens to feature queer people as the leads. And it, I, I think I, I definitely appreciate what Hulu's doing. I hope that they see that, that the queer audience is here and powerful and, and seeking new stories. I wish Harper hadn't been closeted, the girlfriend, because I wanted to see just the holidays are a funny time no matter who you are. And like, it's stressful always introducing your significant other to your family. So I think there could have been lots of room for wonderful humor and other things if that hadn't been the central plot. But again, really grateful that it exists and that we're getting in more mainstream projects. So many of like my queer friends, parents who are straight loved happiest season. Hopefully networks are seeing the numbers and that there's a need and a want for our stories. I really enjoyed Saturday Night Live's recent thing about the period dramas, lesbian period dramas. I haven't watched it yet, but it showed up on my YouTube for you page. You have to watch it. It's okay, good. I can't wait. And what was the team's motivation behind the musical and how did it all come about? Yeah, so Ellie Brigida and Lee Holmes Foster, they're my two other executive producers. They have been working on a podcast called Les Hang Out. They're in season five, about to start season five. Really a successful podcast. They do lots of interviews with queer actors and they talk a lot about queer rep in TV and film. And both of them have a background in musical theater. And apparently in December 2019, they started to get the idea that they wanted to do a musical and do a whole new podcast musical. I had been on their podcast as a guest that year and I'm the only voice actor that they knew. So they reached out to me to get on board for producing. I brought on Caitlin Clear, who's our fantastic writer, and we've basically been working nonstop since April 2020, or March 2020, and we premiere in a week, which is crazy. (laughs) But I mean, the motivation really was, like Ellie and Lee on Les Hangout do segments called Should Have Been Gay, where we're obviously, we're queer baited, we see the tensions there. And so they just kind of, I guess, decided, why are we waiting for someone else to tell our story when we can do it? And you say that they had a relationship with musical theatre, but what's your own relationship to musical theatre? Yeah, I um, I started doing professional musical theatre when I was 11. So I've been doing this a long time. I went to a performing arts high school. I now mostly do voiceover. I've been doing voiceover professionally for the last six years, but I love musicals. I mean, my sister is an opera singer, so music has been a huge part of my life since I was really tiny. My sister's nine years older than me. And getting to combine something I love so much with like who I am and who my friends are was just, I mean, you can't say no to that. That's so exciting. Which LGBTQ plus musicals and musical creatives most inspire you? The Prom was obviously like a great inspiration because of how popular it it became. I have been following The Prom since its very first iteration in Atlanta when they had first premiered. So I've been following that for a long time. I know Ellie is a huge fan of Rent. Loves, loves, loves Rent. Uh, Let's see. I mean, then obviously too, like inspired by a lot of characters we wish would have ended up together in musicals, like <laughs> Alphaba and Glinda. Definitely like took inspiration from those and, and, and ran with it. 
Love it. And The Flame has 18 songs across eight episodes. So musically, what can listeners expect? Yeah, Lee is our composer. Lee, Lee and Ellie are our music team and they are just fantastic. It's a lot of really great classical contemporary musical theater. I keep joking that um, there's a few songs in there that I'm like, colleges are going to start hearing these as college audition songs next year. My my sole goal in life is to like have some young queer people auditioning for college programs use the songs in the flame for their audition. We have some really wonderful just bubbly fun numbers and then we have some really delightfully uh, emotionally moving ballads. It's just it's fantastic. Getting to sing on it because I'm also in it has been the most fun. And what's it been like juggling executive producing? with playing Mal? It's been a lot of work, I will be completely honest, because uh, most of my day when I work on The Flame is scheduling every other actor and every other person and dealing with contracts and dealing with SAG-AFTRA and payments and things like that. And I was joking with Ellie and Lee, I jumped in the booth to record some of my music the other day and I was like, you know guys, I forgot that I was in this. <laughs> And I'm one of the main characters, but I like my my brain has been completely not in the actor world for this, which has been fascinating. But it also kind of took a lot of the pressure off. I felt like I'm worrying so much about contracts that I just got to feel like when I jumped in the booth to go be Mel, I was just having fun. It was so just a delight. And what do you hope that the audience takes away from the flame? I hope they see. I I'm getting tongue tied. I hope that they see themselves. It was really important for us that we tried to bring on people from all parts of the LGBTQ community. We wanted to make sure that like we included some beautiful trans actresses. We have non-binary performers. We just really wanted to make sure we have an aromantic character. We really wanted to make sure that no matter who you are, you can find yourself somewhere and know that you belong because that's what The Flame is about. The Flame, like it, it's, it's a hometown bar that everyone feels like this is home. That's why everyone in the flame is, is fighting to keep it open so much because it's, it's home, it's family. Found family is such a big thing in the queer community. So I just hope people feel like, oh, this is the first time that I've seen someone who reminds me of myself. I mean, that's, that's really what I hope. And especially too, because producing this was a family affair. We raised almost $30,000 to produce this project completely through crowdfunding. And we want people to feel like they really did. They really were a part of doing this and making this happen. We always look after our own, don't we? I think that's the thing about the queer community. Yeah. And the producers, director and writer are all members of the LGBTQ plus community. Do you think that's important on a queer project and how does that impact the production? Yes, I think it's so, so, so important because, I mean, in the same way that I think Hollywood is realizing that they need to bring on consultants when writing about underrepresented groups and things like that, no one knows someone's story better than someone who experienced it, who lived it, who is actively part of whatever community. That can go for being LGBTQ, any race, anything. You want someone on your team who understands the specific struggles, the inside jokes we all have. I make so many jokes with my queer friends that my straight friends just flies over their head. So so it's very, I think it's really, really, really important because then it feels specific. When projects are specific and there's real care put into the creation of it, that's what makes people really connect to it. 
I mean, that's like, if we're taking it out of like the LGBTQ community, like so many of my friends who who grew up in the Hispanic community, for example, loved One Day at a Time on Netflix. And so many of my friends had told me like, I've never seen my family on screen like that. And that's what I want bring into the LGBTQ community. And that's kind of a really long-winded answer. I love it though. I, and I love One Day at a Time as well. It was so good. I, I don't understand why they canceled it. But you know. I I saw it tape. I saw two live tapings of it here in LA and I will I will be forever bitter that they canceled it. That's one of the best shows. One of the best shows on TV. Yeah, I spent today at a local musical theatre festival and the two productions I saw had really queer heavy cast, just like the flame. And it yes. was just, you can feel the difference it makes just on stage, mm -hmm. how much fun everyone has and how sort of welcoming everyone feels. Yes. Um, Broadway's been hit by controversy recently with the Jagged Little Pill fiasco over the character Joe. And in the UK, we've seen Priscilla Queen of the Desert hiring a cis actor to play a trans character. Um, now that theatre is starting to return, what do you think needs to be done to improve it? I really hope, and this, I think there's so much to be done about, I mean, growing up in the theatre community, like I said, I've been doing this since I was 11 in professional theatre, like union theatre. And it's stuff that like, I really think theatre is going to be taking a complete overhaul because it goes across so many things. I mean, we're seeing it with sexual harassment. We're seeing it with racism. We're seeing it again, yes, with, with cis actors playing trans characters or queer characters. The one thing that I really have enjoyed about the pandemic, and we have obviously seen this across like the BLM movement, we're seeing it across so many things that people have had time to educate themselves about why these things are wrong. And education, I think, is the first step because, okay, great. If you don't agree with the theater's decision, you do not have to buy a ticket. And what's that gonna say to the theater? Oh, we messed up. Because unfortunately, big theater operates on money. So it's our dollars vote. And the same way that like, I wanna support super queer shows that are run by super queer people. I think there's so much work to be done, but I also have a lot of faith by the amount of people that I've seen that are stepping up, that are starting new theater companies. I have a lot of faith and a lot of excitement for what's to come. In the UK today was a big day for diversity in theatre because we launched um, a, this trans casting statement which sees theatres pledge not to cast cis actors in trans roles, which is, I mean, it's been a long time coming, but so exciting. Um, oh yes, oh my God, yes. Uh, how did the Flame team ensure its own casting process was equitable? Yes, um, I was the casting director so for us, it was just very important to make sure that it was handled sensitively and first off in the writing portion, making sure that we were inclusive in our characters and knowing what we were looking for in the same way, even though it's a podcast, even though it's only voices and we're not seeing ourselves represented on screen, we wanted to really make sure that we had a ethnically diverse cast. So I'm thinking on all the characters my brain is like trying to like, we have so many characters in our cast. We had, uh, we have a very specific trans woman role named Lillian, who you'll meet, I believe in the first episode. And we put out a casting call because I personally didn't know any trans female voice actresses. So I put out a casting call. I got a ton of incredible submissions. 
we found a beautiful actress named Ashton Grooms, who was a complete delight to work with. I'm so excited about her. She's got a really exciting career ahead of her, super talented. Also too, the best part about that was now I have this list of about 20 actresses that I've had so many casting friends having a hard time finding people and now I can send all of them be like, hi, these women are beautiful and talented and please hire them. So that was really exciting. Yeah. So that was the biggest thing, I think. And then obviously, a lot of our, our main characters, we didn't audition. We offered them to a lot of queer performers who were very loud and vocal advocates in the community already because that, that was important to us. And what's it been like working with Broadway stars such as Come From Away with Jen Colella and Beautiful, the Carol King musical with Julie Kennedy? And how did those collaborations come about? We completely, like, cold emailed their... Oh, no. Ellie and Lee had a connection with Jen's, with Jen, and that was fantastic. We were really nervous. We were like, because we really wanted both of them. We really wanted Chalina and we really wanted Jen. And we were just like, oh, there's no way they're going to say yes to us. There's how could, I mean, Jen's a Tony nominee, like, come on. And they both said yes, like really quickly, which was so exciting. And then uh, nerve-wracking working with them because Caitlin Clear and I both are the directors of this project. And how do you tell someone <laughs> of that caliber what to do? Like, whatever they do is gold. I'm basking in your presence. And, and Jen plays my love interest. And that was terrifying. I'm a big Jen Colella fan, so yeah, I can't yeah. imagine that. I can't imagine that at all. I had to tell the rest of the team, I was like, I was like, I can't record with her. I can't because I think I will probably pass out from nerves. And I'm usually a really confident, not nervous person. But I was like, I can't. I'm sorry, Ellie. I have to record on my own because I will freak out and it won't be okay. So I heard us, I heard one of our duets together for the first time a couple days ago. And I like just ascended to the heavens. I'm so excited so, to do you have any funny or interesting stories from recording that you can share? I mean, we're always just a giggle fest. Ellie, Lee, Caitlin, and I are sincerely fantastic friends now. So just, I mean, every day is there's something silly. We've, we, we've had, I think the biggest thing was we've, we've had plenty of technical difficulties in trying to record everyone remotely because pandemic. And that was a big learning curve for all of us, setting up actors, like having to tell our actors to go tell whoever's mowing the lawn, 10 houses down to please be quiet, anything like that. It's just so funny. And like, and, and too, it's just, I, I feel like a lot of our cast has just been, all of our cast has just, just been delightful. They've rolled with the technical difficulties. They've laughed along with us. Everyone has been just excited to be there, ready to work, and just ready to have fun, which has been wonderful. And as well as an amazing cast, you also have cameos from the likes of entertainment writer Dana Pickley. Are there any other surprise appearances in store that you can hint at? Yes, we have a few that are going to be announced on our Instagram in the next couple of days. We love working with Dana. I was a big fan of Dana from, I always go to Clexicon every year in Vegas. And obviously she moderates a lot of the panels and she's a big part of that. So I, Ellie and Lee are friends with her, but I was very like, I'm such a fan. Like, I, I love your work so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dana was fantastic. Yeah, we have some, we have a couple, um, 
We have a couple TikTok stars that we've not announced yet that are coming aboard and some great cameo roles. And then we have a really wonderful ensemble of fantastic members of the LGBTQ community. We opened up TikTok auditions for anyone who wanted to join. And we, I believe, have 12 or 10 fantastic ensemble members who just have the most beautiful voices. So we're just really excited. We're announcing them this week as well because they're all so talented. TikTok's just done so much for opening up like musical theatre and, you know, particularly for the LGBTQ community because there's such a huge presence on it. So, yes, really exciting. Um, why were you interested in working on musicals specifically in a podcast format? Obviously, theatres have been closed during the pandemic. So. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing, well, for, for me specifically, I uh, had kind of moved away from doing musical theater professionally just because my shift had gone from theater and film to full-time voiceover. I mostly work in video games and animation. And for me specifically, I can't speak on the rest of the team, but even though I wasn't working in it as much, like I love going to the theater. Going to the theater is one of my favorite things and I missed it. I was missing it so, so much. And as soon as they brought up the idea, I was like, yes, this is amazing. We need this. And at that point, when we had started on it, we had thought, oh, things will be open by October 2020. And it just, timing-wise, it became evident that, oh no, this is actually something that's gonna be possibly like needed and well-received because there's not gonna be theater for a while. And I think that too was how we were able to assemble such a great cast. I mean, a, a lot of the main cast are friends of, of mine. Like I brought on Jasmine Savoy Brown and Harrison White. Um, I'd worked with them previously and they're very dear friends of mine. But in, in the same way, like how Jasmine works like a crazy person. She is one of the most busy people I've ever met in my life. Same with Harrison, same with Jen and Shalina. And with being, things being shut down, we were able to get them, which I don't think in a normal time we would have been able to, just because they would have been busy. And I can imagine the accessibility of it means a lot of people who might not necessarily be able to openly go to queer shows if they aren't out or they aren't in a safe environment will get a chance to listen to it. So how does that make you feel? I'm really excited about that and I love that you brought that up because I mean I'm and I'm sure I'm sure you have experienced this as well. I think we I think any theatre lover has experienced the magic of sitting and like listening to a cast album and wishing that they could go see something. And and yeah, theater is expensive. Theater is very, very expensive. I went to New York for the first time when I was 21 and I had been wanting to go my whole life. It, it is expensive. It's expensive to get to London. It's expensive to get to New York, any epicenter of theater to see that original cast. So it, it was really important for us to have something where, no, this is, this is made for you to listen to. You can listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it on iTunes. It's meant for you to be like, this is it. And your imagination gets thrown with you and you don't feel like you're missing out on something by not being able to fly 3,000 miles away. I love that. Uh, I also think culture is vital for altering people's mindsets. And do you believe musical theater specifically has helped to change attitudes towards the LGBTQ community? I think so. Because I think I really have always believed that art can and does create empathy. Because what does, okay, if we're gonna boil down hate to like the most minute thing. It's often fear of the unknown. That's often where things stem from. And then obviously like societal conditioning and things like that. And that's awful. It, it's, it's not understanding people. We hate things we don't understand. And I hate that 
But seeing stories and being moved by them, I think is the first way to create empathy for you to be able to see something and be like, oh, wait, oh no, we're just all people. I, I mean, maybe I'm just an optimist, but I like to think that that's true. And I, I mean, I'm really excited for my parents to hear this because my parents weren't the most supportive when I came out. They are more so now and they definitely love me and things like that. But I'm excited for them to just see like, this is how I see the world. And this is how I love. And this is how I experience things. And I want you to see things from my perspective. And hopefully this allows you to see that. I so with my parents. And I'm, now I'm thinking I should just take them to some like really queer shows and just be like, look at this. So yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. I ask all my guests this because it's something I think about a lot. Do you think your own youth would have been any different if you'd seen more LGBTQ representation in culture? Oh, 100%. I would have realized I was really gay a lot earlier. I didn't realize it. The amount of like internalized homophobia I had as a child, I didn't realize I was gay until I was 19. And then I was like, oh... Oh, the last 19 years of my life makes so much sense. Like, I am obsessed with She-Ra. I will go on about She-Ra for days. If I had had that show when I was eight years old, I would have been so much more confident in myself and like figured things out so much earlier because it just, anything that's like a positive representation just makes you see, oh, I'm not weird. I'm not a monster. There's nothing wrong with me. So... Yeah, I really would. And I, I wish I would have had something like The Flame in musical theater. I mean, as a musical theater performer, I always wondered why I didn't feel connected to like the sweet ingenue characters like Laurie in Oklahoma and things like that. Now I'm like, I wish I would have had a lesbian tomboy to look up to and be like, oh, that's who I want to play. Cause I think they're cool. Great. It's coming up to my 10 year queer anniversary, which I'm calling it, which is when I when I figured it out. And it was, of course, it was Glee, which, you know, I mean, I don't know, yeah. it's like the coolest thing to admit was the thing that made me realize that, yeah. Um, no, if I'd had that sooner, I think, yeah, my childhood would have been completely different. If you look back and then you're like, oh, I get what I was thinking then. I just was, you know, not aware of it then. Yeah, congratulations. I didn't realize it until I was driving one home one night from my best friend's house who ended up being my girlfriend for five years. Uh, and I was driving home from her house one night. We would watch Once Upon a Time every week. And I drove home and like this love song, this 80s love song came on while I was driving. And I was like, oh my God, I am gay. <laughs> she was an out lesbian and all clicked. <laughs> Amazing. Which trope or stereotype in LGBTQ culture most annoys you? That lesbians get sad endings. That like queer women get sad endings. That is like, I hate it so much. Ugh. I've just watched Buffy finally like the whole way through and yeah, that's, yeah, it's too much. I started Buffy and I know that I like the show, but I don't know that I, because I already, obviously everyone knows what happens, but I, I don't know that I can handle it. Like too mm -hmm. early, too early. And then you end up Googling things and you're like, why did I do that? Yeah, yep, yep, yeah, yeah. Anything where the, anyone dies. I've, I've honestly have started not watching things until they have ended. And then I just only will watch it if it has a happy ending. Like I only started watching She-Ra when I knew there was a happy ending. I was like, I will watch this. I will not be queer baited. You will not get me.
I'm gonna have to watch that now. I've not I've not done it, but <gasps> oh. you're selling it very well, just your enthusiasm for it. So. I love it so much that the first tattoo I got on my body, the first and only tattoo is from the show. Nice. I, I'm so scared of needles. And the like a bunch of the team who made it was super super queer. I I cannot talk about it enough, but we're we're I, we're not going to turn this into a She-Ra podcast, but I, I would if I could. Once I watched it, I'll come back to you and we can we can talk about it. I love. I would love that. I um I was planning on getting my first tattoo, Tegan and Sarah tattoo, obviously, because I met them and got them to write um <gasps> word proud down, and so I'm gonna get that tattoo. But I was gonna get it, and then COVID happened, and so I haven't even got it. But you have to do it. Gonna happen. Uh, and what advice would you give to other aspiring LGBTQ producers? Mm, that's a really good question. No one ever asks me producing questions. Um, don't take no for an answer. If you know your project's good, fight for it. We were pitching our project to a lot of people way prior to, like when we were still in just recording, and people were not paying as much attention to us. And now that we have a trailer and episode one coming out, people are starting to take notice. And I'm like, ha ha, you should have started paying attention to us in December. Now you got competing offers. Uh, but yeah, don't take no for an answer. Know your product is good. Hire a team that you love. Work with people that you know that you're all fighting for the good of the project. And if you don't know something, like I mentioned, we had an aromantic character in our project and the core four of the team, none of us four are aromantic. So it was very important to us that we reached out to several friends and we had several sensitivity readers to give us feedback and opinions and their thoughts and talk to us about how this character made them feel and what they would like to see for more positive representation. Because there's no harm in, we can't all know everyone's experience, but we can go out into the world and ask for that experience so that we can bring it in and bring it in a positive, beautiful light and serve that community. Yes, that, that was a big one for us. And now it's time for my quick fire round. So answer the first thing that comes to mind. I think I'm going to give the answer to this one, but favorite LGBTQ TV show? Shira. Favorite LGBTQ comedian? Oh, goodness. I don't know. I think Chris Fleming is bisexual. I think I think he counts. I think that's I will, my answer. I will Google it later. <laughs> yeah, if, 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 if I'm wrong, I, I think he's bisexual. I, all this time, I think he's part of our community. He's so funny. Favorite LGBTQ musician? Oh, Haley Kiyoko, hands down. Lesbian Jesus. Obviously, with so hyped to see her live. Um, when did you see her? I, I, I saw her live too. Yeah, it must have, it must have been the last time she, she toured, I think. It was oh, like a couple of years ago, I guess. Yeah. But, um, Love her. Favorite LGBTQ book? A Fire and Stars by Audrey Colthurst and its sequel of Ice and Shadows. The, those books do not get enough recognition and I love them so much. And I have to read those. Um, so favorite LGBTQ film? Oh, I have always, there's a soft spot for, but I'm a cheerleader. Oh, no, it's Debs. 
well, I still haven't seen Debs and I need to oh. do it because it's got everything I love. But you know, yeah. You must watch it. I have been making every person I know watch it the last few weeks. I love it. Caitlin uh, is actually who turned me on to it. Nice. Favorite LGBTQ play or musical? Oh, goodness. I feel like there's not enough. Ours, The Flame. The Flame is it. Favorite LGBTQ artist. Artist. Um, I will say poetry is an art, and I will say Emily Dickinson. Nice. I still haven't seen the TV show yet. Have you, have you been? It's so good. I need to. It's it's the it's the whole Apple TV thing. I don't you know. Get it. get the free month because I binge it. Yeah, because each episode I think there's only six or seven episodes a season, and they're all only thirty minutes. It's a really short watch. Yeah, great cast. I know you all have big hopes for the musical with the possibility of touring a stage version or even making a feature film. So do you know what's next for the thing? I think we have a couple things that we want to do. Like you already mentioned, we would really love to make it a film with our original cast. If we could, we're trying to see if there's interest. Obviously, making a feature film is like 20 times more expensive than producing a podcast. So that is, that is definitely a dream. Um, we would love to see if we could do a concert version in the coming months. We would love to release an official album. And then we're looking ahead. We really hope that there's a lot of love for the podcast because we would really love to produce a... We're thinking of making this like an anthology series. Every season is a new musical wow. with a different... We would really... We're really hoping we have the uh, support and reception so that we can do a season two because we have some ideas up our sleeves. Oh, fingers crossed. I will be there for the listening party. Awesome. Great. Yeah, thank you so much for chatting to me. This has been a delight. This is lovely chatting with you. And now, to close out the show, here's Maybe Today from The Flame, sung by Ellie Brigida.
for my life, my future to start. It was meant to be. I got down on one knee, but she didn't feel the same. I thought that Rachel was the love of my life. I guess she never dreamed of being my wife.